must be Philip. Hey, I'm glad to. Um, okay, so we're being recorded right now, just FYI. It, it records automatically, so. Okay. Uh, so, first of all, Philip, what's your job description? What do you do in a, on a daily basis with Solaris? Okay, well, I am a professional system administrator, part of a IT group that um, manages about 400 systems. Wow. And that's providing services one way or another to about 30,000 users. Um, but in your spare time, you do a lot of work on OpenCSW, is that correct? That's right. Cool. So what do you do for, for that project? Well, um, I originally started the CSW binary packeting project many years ago. I've been in the um, Solaris system administration realm for a long time now, working with SunStuff for, let's say, 20 years. 20 years? Wow. Close to that, yeah. Working with Solaris since about two, three. My website, com is my personal website, and it started life uh, with a computer science degree in coding. So I've got various tutorials on there, okay. um, scripting and uh, programming. I've got some device drivers on there for Solaris, and uh, got uh, one of the main K-Shell tutorials and ORC tutorials that uh, is fairly popular. Nice. Cool. So you actually started OpenCSW, is that correct? Or you just started uh, packaging and stuff recently is what you were saying? Well, uh, OpenCSW has a, has a long history, which uh, probably won't be too interesting going into now. But, oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> how, how, how long is the history? Well, you can, you can read the history page. Uh, ah, okay. There's a out there. But yeah, so many years ago, six years ago, you could say, what's the foundation of it? of the whole of my uh, CSW packaging. The OpenCSW is the most recent incarnation. Uh, we founded a few years ago and properly made a sort of non-profit organization, the uh, Swiss equivalent. Okay. So the so for people who, because I think most of my audience are going to be Linux and some Windows users. So for people who have never had the, had the pleasure of using Solaris or, or anything like that, um, what exactly is... CSW versus, for instance, uh, the Sun uh, packages. You know, what's what what's why is there a CSW? I guess. Okay, good question. So many years ago, I was <laughs> when there was a lot less free software than there was now. You know, the, the burden of uh, pulling things together started mounting up, and um, it was becoming very tedious. And other people were complaining, <laughs> and um, there, there was SunFreeway.com, which provided packages, but it wasn't exactly a pleasant experience if you had multiple packages in, the, in a tool chain, you know, lots of dependencies. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, I don't remember if it was before or after I became a Debian developer. I'm also pbrown at debian.org, although I was oh, okay. inactive for <laughs> quite a while. Uh, but at that point, I thought, you know, why don't we have AppGet? I can't believe no one has, has written some kind of functionality for Solaris. Uh, and so I considered it, you know, thought, well, okay, how, just how ugly would it be to write it myself? Um, I, I did the, the standard lazy programmer's way of, well, <laughs> can I just take AppGet, can I just take AppGet and compile it and do it work? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the answer was, no way. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, though. Nice try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So, so then I went, again, you know, the lazy, the lazy programmers, rule number two. Well, okay, I, I want it, but I don't need all of it. So just, just give me the useful bit. Um, so you know, the, um, the Sun original 
traditional native packaging format doesn't really have a good name. It's called uh, SysBR4 packaging format. And um, it's, it's a very basic local packaging format system. It's, it's vaguely similar to dpackage, but, but simpler in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, well, okay. App gets on top of dpackage. I want my own app get. So I actually banged out the basic transport and concept uh, pretty quickly over like a weekend or two. I originally actually wrote it for, um, it came package get. I, I named my uh, utility package get. And um, I, I take pride in, in doing the job right. So that even though the bits they implemented weren't you know the full suite, I try to be as um, feature compatible as, as possible with AppGet. For example, mm. there is there is a move flag to package get. Uh, for those people who are familiar with AppGet, uh, strange quirks try the move flag on app, AppGet sometimes. Wow, okay. <laughs> so as I was saying, I originally wrote it for, oh, maybe I didn't, um, I wrote to actually work with Sun Freeware because, again, I was going with the path of least possible work. Right. Sun Freeware has packages. I'll just use those. I'll just make life easier to install those. And it worked. And, in fact, uh, Sun Freeware uh, still uses package get to this day. Okay. Their drawback was that the person who runs it decided not to put the dependency information into the packages. The SysPR4 package format does actually natively support uh, declaring dependencies, uh, but some freeware didn't put it in. And so I had this nice catalog that's downloadable that PackageGet can use that didn't have any dependency information in it. So after a while, I thought, well, okay, fine, uh, I'll put my own. No, actually, there was a big um, Sun at the time was also um, publishing its own CD. That was also, it's gone through various names. At one point it was called Sun Freeware, but it's not sunfreeware.com. It was also called the Companion CD. Okay. Uh, that's more dynamic and, and with open Solaris and using IPS and stuff like that. Right, right, okay. Yeah, but so the nice thing was the, the Sun provided packages of, of freeware. It was limited, so it was only about 100 packages, but they had the dependencies declared in them. So I thought, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll just write my catalog generating program to go through those, pull out the dependencies, make a catalog. Mm-hmm. And it worked great. You could cool. basically dump the CD on a website, run my little program to generate catalog, then point packs get it, and it would pull down the programs with dependencies that you told it to get. Wow. And that worked great if all you needed were those 100 packages. <laughs> right, so, right. So eventually, you know, I and other people wanted more and more, and uh, there were issues with, well, okay, well, we want the latest version of Mozilla, but the Sun ones only have this version library, and Mozilla needs that version library. And so eventually I decided, well, okay, gee, in for, in for a penny, in for a pound, as the old thing <laughs> goes and uh, decided to just rebuild the whole darn thing um, and then keep going. At that point, I started recruiting people to help out with the rebuilding. Nice. Uh, so it's going forward since then. So uh, Sun Freeware, I mean, that still exists, um, but they're not, are they, I guess, I mean, they're not technically inactive, but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of activity going on there. Is is that, would you say that? Well, or, uh, no, I mean, actually, not to, like, uh, you know. Uh, some, Sumfreeware.com isn't so much of a group activity. The main guy, Steve Christensen, I mean, he does what he does, and he, he he's doing it in mostly the same way that he's been doing it for 10 years or so. Okay. Um, whereas in OpenCSW, I like to encourage people to innovate and take things even further. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we have a uh, 
utility set of uh, scripts in our own package, packages, I should say, that have some common routines across uh, packages that need it. For example, we have some scripts that make integrating daemon packages into you know runtimes in a uh, at runtime at boot time in a standard fashion. Mm. Um, but Solaris has this feature, at least the modern uh, Solaris Tenderbird has this uh, boot time feature called FMF, which it's kind of interesting. I think it's vaguely like one of the Linuxes has, has something vaguely similar. I think it was Red Hat, where rather than just runtime scripts, you know, and it's all a whole bunch of RC scripts, you have it, uh, a list of services, and you, and you have this um, utility to adjust the services. They have um, SVC ADM, the service ADM. So you can do SVC ADM enable Apache, SVC ADM disable Apache. Okay. Um, you can do status of services. You can do SVCS Apache, and it'll tell you, okay, is it online, offline, in maintenance mode, problem, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And ad additionally, there are dependencies. So, you know, if you have Apache, not to say you have the PHP, no, PHP is not a daemon. <laughs> running out of <laughs> uh, analogies there. But, you know, if you have one daemon depending on another daemon, depending on NFS, and they don't start up until NFS is running. And then if there's a problem with NFS, but then you fix it and enable it, then the system will detect, oh, hey, NFS is, is up. Now I can go back and start these others as well. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Sun has some, you know, marketing has some, some fancy words for, like, self-healing framework, blah, blah. But. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, CSW community right now, would you say it was a lot of people or a couple of people who just are? And, and I guess who are they, too? I mean, like, are they all mainly Sun system admins who just want to have the tools that are familiar to them from, you know, from their Linux box? Or, I mean, who are these people? There's <laughs> uh, a mix of people. Um, uh, we have some people who work for um, Sun resellers and people who, you know, offer services based on Sun hardware mm, software. Yeah. They want a nice uh, tool chain to go along with it. Then there are some random people who are system administrators who, who want the tool. Very occasionally, we, we've had interest from general open source developers who develop on another platform, but uh, they realize, oh, hey, uh, OpenCSW gives you use for build farm and, and help on porting and building stuff for Solaris. So they've uh, joined up and become maintainers to uh, have packages of their software on Solaris. Cool. Okay, so if you might be able to clear up a question that I had when I first went to OpenCSW, I think I want to say that, that you have to do something with like two different package managers to get to eventually get to the right one. Is that does that does that ring a bell well, to you, or am I choose one? If, if, if it's not clear that it's an either or, then we need to improve our docs, and we'd love to have some suggestions. You know, it, it's similar to Debian. You can use AppGet or Aptitude or one of the other front ends, you pick which one you like and use it. But it all okay. points to the same, same uh, repository. Cool. Yeah, that was the part that was confusing me. Uh, I mean, in terms of, I guess, packaging, and I don't know much about packaging. I've got a couple of Slack builds out there. But um, in terms of packaging, how would you compare the, the Sun? I mean, is it is it a huge, steep learning curve to get started with Sun packages? Or is it, I guess I'm asking you to liken it to either RPM or .deb or something entirely different. You know, what's what's your assessment of the packaging format, I guess? Uh, um, people, some people have bagged on the packaging format, but... Um, well, people always, you know, <laughs> have to complain about yeah. 
one one packaging format or another, right? Oh yeah, but it's mostly because they don't understand it, or they don't understand what can be done with it. Mm. Um, sadly, even some people inside Sun, um, <laughs> the people who made the the new IPS thing, kept complaining, "Oh well, we have to make this new packaging system because the old one is not network uh, capable." Blah blah. And hello, I've been making network capable <laughs> with package for five years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to, to directly answer your question. Uh, it depends um, what tools you choose to use. I mean, if you choose to by hand put together a package, it can be a bit tedious. Mm. Um, but uh, there's been a lot of work in various ways. Uh, we at OpenCSW we have our GAR system, where simple uh, packages can be made really easily, and you actually don't need to know almost anything about the format. You you put together a make file, kind of like a spec file, and you type make and it just happens. Wow, nice. Okay, uh, and it does like the dependency stuff and all that other fancy stuff that that all the other modern packaging systems do. You said right? Uh, yeah. Or the, it can, the, I guess. Right. The packaging format supports that. I think in our current one, our current GAR system, I think attempts to automatically detect dependencies and add them in. Okay. So way back in the day, when I was first getting into uh, the Unix stuff, I was trying to. Um, you know, I was installing all the Unix libraries and dependencies on, on OS ten, which was my platform of choice at the time. And um I, I would I would often find that there was a lot of like uh really porting that had to happen because of, you know, the way that OS ten has has stuff set up. Um and it was well beyond my knowledge. So I'm wondering if a lot of these things that you know, a lot of the free software out there these days is Kind of written more with Linux in mind, just because that's got, I guess, the the market share. You would say, um, yeah. When you're grabbing it to package it for Sun, it, it depends on on how professional the uh, uh, open software developers have been. It, it's, mm -hmm. From a personal standpoint, I, I find it really sad because I remember I've, I've been doing this kind of thing for 20 years, and I remember where it was really a point of pride back when Linux didn't even exist. You know, right. I, I used and compiled GNU software when Linux didn't exist. And then it was a point of pride to, to make your software clean, so it cleanly compiled and installed on HPUX, IRIX, Solaris, SunOS, everything. Right. Yeah, portable, now, truly like, portable code. Right. And now it's like people hardly bother. I run on Linux. Okay, I'm done. Um, <laughs> right. And the really silly thing is that um, the GNU AutoConf tools actually give you a big leg up on making it portable, but people don't even bother to check. Um, for example, just today I, I um, just submitted a patch to Pango um, where one of the subcomponents they use, the open type, they include standard int.h. Standard int.h doesn't exist on Solaris. And the thing oh, is, okay. Autoconf has already detected that, and not only has it detected that, but it's also detected, hey, you don't have standard int, but you do have int types.h. So all the people have to do is just say, have int types.h, use that. But they didn't check. So wow. I submitted a patch. Now, is that, is, let me ask you this then. Is that, extra, is, that a, is that one less step that a programmer has to take? Is it one more step than a programmer has to take? Is it making their life easier or harder, or they just, not, they just don't know to do it? I mean, why isn't it being done? Um, in that particular instance, it's another step. It's also the problem of feature creep. For some reason, people decide, oh, 
well, the latest, the latest GCC and G++ is 2010. Hey, there's these features added in 2009, 2010. I'm going to use those. Mm. And it's not like they add any advantage. You can right. write the same software with the GCC 3, um, right. and it would work great, and it would be more portable. Um, and there's the irony, but they don't. And it's because they're using the bleeding-edge ANSI and C spec for no good reason that it's, it's more difficult. For example... Um, the, the standard, uh, standard int, I think, is, or, or some other thing, is part of the C99 spec. And there, there, there's ways to do it before, uh, and most platforms supported it, but people aren't using that anymore. And that would actually be less work to use the oldest spec. Um, right, that's what it seems like. It seems like such a big advantage. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that people don't do that more. I wish they would, because I like to compile code on just random stuff, you know, either different. Unixes that I get to try out, or different architectures on maybe a common like a Linux thing, but it's PowerPC, and then you run into some weird issue where you know they've hard coded like the I guess the C flags or whatever to to to, speci to specify you know a specific architecture. Weird stuff like that really annoys me. Oh yeah, yeah. There was there was <laughs> uh, again you know recomparing the the GTK toolchain uh, could have been Pango again, but there was this. They automatically assumed GCC. Therefore, we're going to add in these uh, these GCC specific flags. And I go looking at the um, at the part where it's actually defined in configure or whatever it was. And uh -huh. to, to change and, and just so I'm about to remove by hand, I see a comment. We really should make this less GCC specific. <laughs> ah, yeah, you should. <laughs> Well, that actually reminds me. So, so what is the um, what is Solaris used for for compiling? I mean, I know it's some studio, but what's the back end of that? That is the back end. <laughs> oh, it is. Uh, it's called Sun Studio. Yeah, they've changed it a few times. It used to be okay. one time Sun Forte, then Sun Studio, and there was another name or two here and there. Uh, but yeah, the the name du jour is Sun Studio. Okay, cool. So have you used uh, Open Solaris at all, much at all, or any experience with that? Not much. Uh, I just pulled it up, uh, and uh, <laughs> certainly the desktop is, is a lot prettier and easier these days. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, you mentioned that um, uh, you know, the Open Solaris doesn't support Open Solaris, and it's, it's kind of true and not true. All our packages and binaries should actually run on OpenSolaris just fine. That's but, in my experience, just FYI. Right, right. And and Sun actually is, is rather unique in that they have historically guaranteed binary compatibility. So, for example, you can compile something on Solaris 8, and if it compiles cleanly, um, you can take the exact same binary, run it on Solaris 8, 9, 10, and OpenSolaris. Wow, nice. Yeah, and you want to get really funky... Um, they, when they first made the switch to Solaris, you know, originally it was, it was SunOS, or running SunOS, and um, to encourage adoption of, of the new fancy Solaris, they made a binary compatibility extension to allow you to run SunOS binaries. So this will blow your mind. You can take an NCSA Mosaic SunOS binary and run it on Solaris 9. <laughs> that is crazy. That's quite a feat. I mean, talk about portability, you know? Yeah, it's 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 the little matter of actually thinking stable APIs are good. Uh, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I, I uh, like working with Solaris. 
Okay, well, I guess we can't avoid you know this question, right? I mean, so Solaris, uh, or rather Sun, obviously is no more, I guess. So what um, what's the general sense, I guess, within the community or maybe within the the, the places that you work? Are people still pretty confident that Solaris is going to be around now that Oracle's got it? Or I think different people have different opinions. Um, mm-hmm. My my personal opinion, I've been I've been obviously watching what Oracle's been doing, and they've they've made certain promises about you know, their intentions to keep Slice around and, and certain other aspects of Sun. And um, it looks to me like they're very, very serious on that. Um, they've mentioned that they have ramped up their support stuff for Solaris and things like that. Cool. Um, and they've, they've improved the support websites. They've done lots of other positive things to it. Uh, the downside is that um, they're, they're making a few more things pay-only um, Sun has historically had this sort of pendulum swing between patches are free, got to pay for patches. No, they're free. No, you got to pay for them. Um, right, right. Right. They swing back towards the no, you got to pay for them. <laughs> oh well. But uh, hey, um, in some ways that's a good thing, you know, because anything that actually earns you money, you're more likely to keep around. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it struck me sort of that that Oracle was probably not going to just kill off Solaris because right before they they bought. Sun, not right before, but like a year before, they they tried that. Uh, remember, they did that uh, Enterprise Linux thing where they like basically took Red Hat and sort of repackaged it with their own branding on it. I don't know if you if you were aware of that. It was kind of a big splash in the Linux community, you know. Um, uh-huh. So it looks like they were trying to get into that sort of oh yeah, we're an OS as well market. So maybe that's what their Solaris intentions really are. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they did Oracle did that quite a few years ago. Um, I don't remember exactly, but it seems like about five years ago even. So they've, they've been in the Linux space for quite a while. And, you know, they've also got the uh, the, the hooks in open source with Berkeley DB. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what strategy they, they pursue with Solaris. I noticed that's one of the uh, famous open Solaris involved guys, Stephen Hahn, uh, announced he is no longer going to be with Oracle. Mm. There's no reasons given. Uh, mm. Perhaps that's because Oracle might be planning to be a bit more corporate and less, you know, airy fairy. Right, yeah. The way things have been. Um, so, you know, it didn't suit his taste, but uh, I think it uh, could bode very well for people who want to see uh, Slars continue as a commercially supported entity. So, so was um, was SunOS your first uh, personal, your, the, the first units that you used, or, or what, what were you? What did you start out on? Oh, I had a long history. I started out. My first computer was uh, what would be called over here a Timex Sinclair with 4K oh. of memory, and uh, then I upgraded to 16K. <laughs> then had a Radio Shack color computer, and uh, then. Eventually, I started running this interesting thing called OS9 from Microware, which is a multitasking, quasi-multi-user, but non-protected memory operating system. It's uh, actually uh, used in, or was used in a lot of embedded systems, but it was very Unix-like in a lot of ways, uh, but small program because it was destined for embedded systems and things like that. So it's a pretty good stepping stone between messing around with basic 
and uh, then when I finally started using Sun and Western College. Cool. Yeah, that does sound like I'd never heard of that one. That's uh, an interesting sounding one. I'll have to look that up on the, the internet, read up about it. Yep, with a 6809 processor. Oh, okay. Okay, so here's a weird question. Uh, is the network the computer? <laughs> well, something you should say. <laughs> um, I just attended a um, local uh, Unix group meeting last night the, with the subject of Memcasty. Uh, a user group which I actually <laughs> kind of restarted myself about 10 years ago at Los Angeles, uh, oh, Association of Southern California. Uh, but uh, presented by a great guy, Matt Ingerthron, who did a lot of work with the Memcasty folks and now is in a, in a company. But uh, what struck me as really interesting was Matt was describing the way Memcasty works and the protocol that it uses. And uh, I commented after hearing it, wow, Memcasty is like a simplified CPU with a distributed memory over the network, um, huh. like an eight-instruction set CPU over the network. So, yeah, it, it's becoming that way. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, cool. I think that's about all the questions I had for you, to be honest. Thanks for, um, thanks for talking to me. It was a real pleasure and really, really interesting. Great. Happy to do it. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net. So head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.